Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. And I have a word, um, that was the word, but I have something else I want to share. Um, and, and it's kind of going back. Last week we looked, Bill did an amazing job of talking about uh, husbands and wives and submitting to one another. And I want, to, I want to go back a couple of verses in order to frame something that was revealed to me in the preparation for this series. Um, but before I do, uh, just a, a, quick, a quick thing, a um, couple of thoughts on the church as it stands. So I've used this illustration before, but a few years ago when my son was like one and a half, my wife and I were, and our family, were, we were walking down in Long Beach off of 3rd, and we went down this back alley, and we found this gold mine right here. Look at this. <laughs> it was covered in uh, all sorts of nastiness, and it was in the middle of the alley. It was just basically dirt covered and disgusting, and I washed it up, I cleaned it off, I scrubbed it down, I got rid of the half stickers that were on there, and we put my son Ezra, who was, I think, one and a half, and we got it on there, and, um, and I just, I did this, I just pushed him, and he loved it. I mean, you can just imagine, this is the first thing that he had where it was like a real thing, it was his red ATV, and I spent, no joke, in the backyard, everywhere, I was, I was spending like an hour that first time, like this, and I want you to see this image. I was just pushing him. He was staring at it. We would go off course, and he would almost fall, and it was just so much fun. He absolutely loved it. It was amazing. He got comfortable, and he loved it. It was his, it was his motorcycle. He could barely say the word now. He calls it his motorcycle. It's an ATV. Um, but, uh, but there it was. This is it. It was this thing. And then I was cleaning it more, and I discovered it has a battery. What? Uh, and so I went on Amazon and found the, the charger. I plugged it in. He had to wait an entire day for it to charge. It takes like 24 hours of charging. And then I, after it was charged, I'm like, Ezra, you're going to love this. You're going to love it. Watch, just, just get ready. Sat him on there, pushed the button, and he immediately jumped off. He was terrified. <laughs> and, and he wanted me to do this. He's like, no, daddy, don't touch us. He wanted me to do this. So there I was, pushing him with all that effort. And he didn't realize that he could do it himself. He could just do this. And this became an illustration for me for what I think most of us in the church experience. Where we get comfortable being pushed because it's predictable, it's safe. But we were designed for power. The church is designed to be powered with heavenly resources through the Holy Spirit. But we have built empires in the church around these safe, predictable models that you show up to and you hop in and out because you know someone's going to be in control behind you pushing you along the way. Rather than be freed up to explore on our own through the power of the Spirit, we have settled for being pushed behind an ATV that's designed to go on its own for lots of reasons. Um, one of the reasons, though, is uh, we don't like uh, what happens often when the Spirit comes, right? Every time I talk to cautious, conservative Christians, which I used to be, if you know my story, um, it's always met with, well, there's got to be order. Like, what, what, you take this one line from Paul, and if you read all that's going on in, the, in that passage from, from Corinthians 
1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. There's healing, signs and wonders. There's prophecy. There's words of knowledge. There's tongues and interpretation. And there's teaching. And there's worship. There's all sorts of stuff. But what we want is order. We want predictability and control. And here's the other thing that I've realized. Uh, one more story. Uh, so I have one more illustration here. So... Uh, uh, we, we, like our, our, we like our comfort and ability in church, but we've been designed for power. We've been designed to carry the power. But we also can do a lot through our own strength, can't we? Like, I can spend hours pushing my son like this. I might get a backache. I might get hurt. But we can actually do so much through our talent, through our models, through our knowledge, um, through sheer strength and effort. We can do all sorts of things. I can do a lot. I can, I can grab this, the Bible. I can use my skill, my knowledge, my gift set, and try to preach a good sermon without the Spirit. Churches can evangelize without the power of the Spirit in their evangelism. We can do this on our own strength. Do you know? We do it all the time. Perfect example. I... Um, got these shade structures to go on the outside of our house because, you know, it's like a 1,000 degrees in Long Beach right now. And there are these curtains that, because our house has no shade on, along the two sides of the, of the walls that um, actually the sun just beams down upon. It's like this, like, I, I feel like it's hysterical. It's um, this magnifying glass is literally on our, our house. So it gets like, the front room is cool, the back rooms are like 150 degrees. It's a sauna in our house. So we got these shade, shade structures to help us out. I installed two of them. And it says 20 minutes to, to install. Both of them took an hour and a half each. <laughs> so months went by and we realized we needed, it for, we needed some for the other side of our house, the other side that bakes in the sun. So we got it and I knew it was gonna take an hour and a half. So I get my, my stuff. My wife for Father's Day bought me a new drill set. So she got me new drill bits. And had my drill, so I got the right size, and I, I set up both of them, getting ready to, to drill into the side of our house, um, what was needed, so the first one goes, it says 20 minutes, I've already done two, I knew it'd take longer, I, I measured it, ready to go, go for it, hardcore, there it is, I'm drilling it, drilling it, drilling it, an hour and a half to do eight holes and install one shade structure on our house, I couldn't believe it, I was like, what's going on? I was literally drip, dripping in sweat. My son's coming over. I'm losing my temper. I'm having to apologize. He's going to go through therapy for what happened that one day. <laughs> and then I'm talking to John later after I installed that one. I put the other one away. I'm like, I'm not doing it today. He's like, oh, you have the wrong bits. That's for wood. You need masonry bits. <laughs> what's a masonry bit? I don't Aren't all drill bits the same? Like what? So an hour and a half. So sure enough, a few days later, I borrow his masonry bit, 15 minutes. It was like butter. It was just, I didn't, there was no effort. I wasn't, I didn't break a sweat. I, I was drinking a LaCroix while I installed. These, here's the thing though. I got three of them done. It took a lot of energy, a lot of effort, a lot of sweat, some tears and some cussing, <laughs> some therapy down the road. But if I actually engaged the way, uh, and then I read, actually, in the instruction says, like, a bit, like, a masonry bit or something on it. It's like four concrete outside or whatever. 
uh, if you engage properly, um, you'll be able to do it the way you were designed to do it. You see, you read in the Bible, it says, like, easy, light, rest. But so much of ministry and life in the kingdom, it seems like exhaustion, work hard, discipline, um, nothing wrong with those things, but it seems like we have become comfortable and consistent as churches pushing these things up the hill rather than learning how to operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree? So if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter one. I wanna, I wanna just talk for a little bit about being spirit-filled. Now this is a long introduction and I got like 20 more minutes, um, but I, I really wanna share what I, some of the insight. Would you go, there's a slide I missed I think somewhere um, in there. Oh no, it's coming up. Here, here's what I wanna say. I wanna encourage us to be a spirit-filled church. Church that wants to be spirit-filled uh, must long for the presence of Jesus in their individual lives. You as individuals, us together, individually, corporately, must long for the presence of Jesus, the risen Lord, in our individual lives. We must learn to be in the presence of God. I'm not talking about just worship services. I'm not talking about getting good at worship leader, or having lights dimmed like this or getting great worship songs or becoming fans of Bethel or Vineyard or whatever it is. I'm talking about as individuals and as a church, we must become obsessed with God. You, if you read the stories of the New Testament, men and women are beaten, misunderstood, kicked out of cities, arrested, they're stoned, and they're killed for Jesus. They were relentless for Jesus because they were obsessed with Jesus. Everything about their life was transformed. They would leave their, their cultures to go somewhere else to a different language and culture to bring Jesus to them. They weren't worried about the school district they lived in or what time the meeting went because they have little ones. Now, these are all things I worry about. But when I read the stories in the New Testament, I, can't, I, can't, I see this great gap between my life and this life. And, and when I look at the Western church, I just see us obsessed with our slogans and visions and dreams and celebrity pastors and Instagram pictures with other celebrity pastors and additional service times and conferences and worship albums mid-season we organize our churches around comfort and security, around pragmatic formulas and popular programs designed to help people cope with their surroundings. Rather than teach people to follow Jesus to the cross where they might die, they, they, where they are released into the world with the authority and power of Christ to bring life wherever they go as it is in heaven. You see, the problem with the church today, and we are a part of the problem, is we teach people how to survive culture rather than bring culture it's, and so we see the church like this, operating ineffectively, like we're outside of the world trying to engage the world rather than see what the, the scriptures teach. And I think part of the problem is we've become content with taking a selfie with Moses rather than climbing on top of the mountain to enter in the presence of God ourselves. Our church is doing all these missional things. The garden, oh, we're so missional. We're doing back to school drive. Look at them, they're awesome. You shouldn't show up to church next week empty-handed without one of these things. That should be your entrance fee to get in. Some of you are here and your entrance fee is a bag of this stuff to walk away with because you need it. Absolutely. That should be an obvious thing. We should be taking care of each other's needs. That, that's what the church does, but we have to engage it 
together without the presence of God will misunderstand our purpose in this life. And here's our purpose, according to Ephesians. If you have a Bible, Ephesians 1. Are we preaching yet? I haven't haven't even gotten to the Bible yet. (laughs) I just realized, man, that was a long intro, talking about drill bits and all sorts of goodness. Talked about nastiness being caked onto that thing. Ephesians 1, verse 20. Hey, I'm, I'm just, I have like the training wheels on. It's been a while since I've preached. Ephesians 1, 20. It says this. Um, he exerted when he raised Christ. Um, sorry, that, the, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion in every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet, appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which, listen to this, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what's our purpose as the church? This is what it is right here in this verse. Uh, but to translate it, let's go to the message version. Let's just read this together. It's on the screen. The message uh, translated by Eugene Peterson, same verse, his language it says this. All this energy issues from Christ. God raised him from the dead, set him on a throne in deep heaven in charge of running the universe. Everything from galaxies to governments, no name and no power exempt from his rule. And not just for the time being, but forever. He is in charge of it all, has the final word on everything. At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is Christ's body in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. Do we have that slide? This is what it should be like. Christ is the head of the church. The church is at the center of all things, pushing its way out until there is the renewal of all things working together. So, brothers and sisters, in other words, you have nothing better to do than to give your life to Jesus and serve alongside the bride as we redeem all things in Christ. This is our purpose. But the question then is, as I was processing, how on earth does this happen with people like me and you? How are we going to participate in the renewal of all things when we, our lives look like the way they do, right? When I could be as petty as losing my temper over the wrong drill bit. Anyone else? Or four or five, traffic circle. Anyone else? Can I get some nods? Yes. Am I the only one broken and suffering and looking at himself going, I can't do this? I'll be, I'll be the only one. So this is what it looks like. So Paul, Paul knows we can't do it on our own. So he writes um, Ephesians as part of our way of moving forward and in, in fulfilling God's mission to the world to renew all things back to himself. Um, if you have a Bible, go to Ephesians chapter 15. I want to look at this verse because it's extremely important for us to recognize that the task that we have, our purpose in being Christ's body, fulfilling all things in Christ, being the agent, the main vehicle that brings restoration, reconciliation, and renewal to the, to the rest of the world, um, the only way that's gonna happen is through God's work in us through his spirit. So Paul says this in Ephesians chapter five, verse 15. Let's just read this verse, verse 15 through 20. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, 
speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God, to, the, uh, to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul gives us instructions, and here, here's what he's saying. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. Be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. And John, Pastor John, did an amazing job teaching through this a couple of weeks ago. Paul is challenging the Ephesians church to make the most of every day, ordinary life. Where does the renewal of all things happen? It happens in your everyday, ordinary life. It happens when you're on your way to work, when you are at work, before you go to work when you're getting dressed, when you're at the park with other moms watching your kids. The renewal of all things is present wherever you are if you make the most of every opportunity to step into what God is doing through wisdom. Not foolishness, but wisdom. And there's a whole, that's a whole other teaching in itself. So he's challenging the Ephesians culture because he knows in Ephesus 2,000 years ago, it was a culture of alcohol, of sex, of false idols and false gods, of, of cultural propaganda, pagan practices. People were indulging in appetites and pleasure and consumption. They were lying and cheating and living for themselves and all sorts of other activities. This is what he means by the days are evil. Now, I don't know if we can relate to those things, but that's 2,000 years ago. So do your work to get back 2,000 years ago to think about how hard it would be to be surrounded by pagan propaganda around a, se a sexuality culture, a con consumer culture. Um, I, so that's what we're dealing with. So he writes to the church to say, hey, you have to live intentionally as a follower of Jesus where you are because everything else is competing with you. Everywhere you, every inch that you walk around, everywhere you go, will be challenged by an alternative kingdom. You will, you will want to define yourselves by those advertisements. You will want to define yourselves by what people think, not what God says about you. You will want to go along with what the culture is doing because that's, where, that's how the, the river is flowing. That's the direction the river is flowing. But you, brothers and sisters, have to choose to live intentionally with, as a follower of Jesus, and that will require intentionality with your time. That's what he says. And he goes on in verse 17. And he says, uh, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the Lord's will. And then verse 18. This is where I want to anchor us today. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. So Paul is writing um, in context to a church in Ephesus. They were meeting in house churches. And in many ways, this is directly connected to the type of culture that Ephesus and the Roman Empire faced in pagan context. Okay, so it's basically house churches versus drinking parties. So in order to understand why he's saying this, one of the common practices, what was uh, uh, for, for a culture, this is all they knew. It'd be like, all we know is to be on our phone and have, have emails, have email access 24-7. Like, that's just what we do, right? We, we, we have access to all the information through Google. Um, this is just what culture, we have access to Instagram. It would be like having a cell phone, being in star, line at Starbucks, and just being on our phone, inundated with something that's as, uh, as simple as having access to emails. That's just a, a norm. That's totally normal, right? Totally normal? Like, it's not weird to see somebody on their phone like this. Not, not weird at all. Okay. So what Paul's doing is he's attacking a cultural norm. In the first century, um, non-Jewish communities, Romans, would do something called symposiums. If you go to a house for a party, there'd be enough wine for you to get drunk. You didn't drink alcohol moderately. You drank it to get drunk because drinking wine 
to get drunk was a form of pagan worship. It was to connect yourself to the other pagan gods. Okay, are you with me? So the idea of showing up to a house for, ch- for church where there's wine and bread, you go to Corinthians, Paul was saying, brothers and sisters, don't get drunk off the communion wine. Why? Because culturally, that's what you did. That's all you know. All you know is to stand in line with your head and your phone. That's just normal. Until one day somebody says, actually, you're missing all the life and beauty in your surroundings, and this is distracting you from becoming a redemptive presence. Are you with me? So what, am I, what is Paul saying here? He's not making a law. Yeah, we don't get drunk as Christians. Yeah, we can make it a legalistic thing. What Paul's doing, he's saying, don't be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. And that, in this specific time, because it was a culture thing, you show up to a house, you drink to get drunk. Uh, if you were a Jew and you showed up to a house and you became a Christian, you'd expect church to look like the synagogue that form of congregational gathering worship. That was, that's what, actually what it looked like in J- Jerusalem and around um, Israel. But in pagan contexts, what you would expect church to be is symposium, drinking parties. And so he's challenging the cultural norms. And, and I would like to instantiate that what Paul would say today is he would, he would challenge us um, to, to not be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. So we can make it a legalism thing like, oh, you know, um, uh, marijuana is legal now, so we can do it. But I would argue um, that that's, that should be used for rare occasions, for medicinal purposes, probably. I'm not gonna argue against that. But I would say you shouldn't be under any substance that alters your mindset um, outside of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I know some of us need medication for various things, depression, anxiety. I'm not arguing against that. I'm saying, what are the things that dominate our mind and what are the things that fill us? So I think if Paul was here today, if he would just spend some time in Long Beach with us, he might say, hey, brothers and sisters, don't, um, he might say, hey, don't, def- don't fill your life up with consuming and materialism because that will lead to a life defined by what you own and purchase rather than who you are in God. Hey, brothers and sisters, don't binge watch Netflix and Amazon Prime because that will lead to idleness and laziness. Don't, Be a slave to your phone because that will eliminate your capacity for real life. What are the things that dominate and influence your mind? What has the highest value in your life? How are you using your time to bring to the world Christ's presence as the body of Christ, which you are? You with me? Are we preaching? The alternative is it says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he says, be filled, which in Greek, and we've talked about this so many times, it's a continual present verb, tense verb, which means uh, it should be translated, be continually filled. Keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. People of God are to be characterized by the regular infilling of the Holy Spirit, which is why when we get comfortable doing this, we're missing the very character of what it means to be a Christian because from the beginning of time, God wants to dwell with his creation in intimate relationship. And now because of Christ, what he did on the cross and through the power of his Holy Spirit filling our lives, we are able to live the way we are intended to live in the first place through intimate connection with our creator, through his spirit in our life. And Paul says, so be filled with the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? So here's a picture. This is what I think he's saying. Um, Here's a slide. This is the, I have some help with some illustrations. So 
what, what it means as a follower, this is good, right? Some two, two arrows. We are to posture ourselves in the place where we are receiving the Holy Spirit all the time. When you wake up in the morning, you should pray, Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your presence? When you do your daily devotional, Holy Spirit, because you're reading your Bible every day, uh, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? <laughs> fill me with your Holy Spirit. Uh, when, you go, when you're driving to work, before you get into work, what if your prayer was, Lord, fill me with your presence that I may be a light to this place? When you're about, you know when it's getting heated up in your marriage and things are getting, you're about to fight, you're just the Holy Spirit, would you fill me with your presence? When you're, when you're using the wrong tool bit and you're, you realize that you're about to lose it, Holy Spirit, fill me. Why? Because the presence of God is what empowers the life of God in you. We don't get fruit without the Spirit. We won't become patient without the Spirit of God in our life. And it says that even children will praise God. Even the mouth of infants will praise God. And that's, he's just saying amen in the Spirit. I know it. <laughs> and my boy's just sleeping through this. That's amazing. We should, I should just put sermons on through the night and he'll sleep. <laughs> so, but... So we can keep being filled as individuals, but this is what he says. But there's a community. Now stay with me. We're almost to the end because this is where it gets really crazy. The goal is filling the whole earth. How does that happen? It starts with individual followers of Jesus being filled with the presence of God. Brothers and sisters, I don't know what church background you come in, come from, or if you come from church at all. I grew up in a church that didn't really believe. We believed, oh, that, yeah, the Spirit saves us, but the idea of being filled outside of just being saved, there was no context for gifts. There was no context for life transformation or power other than repenting of sin. At this church, we believe we can be filled, regularly filled and touched by the presence of God so that we can go and do what Jesus wants us to do in our everyday ordinary life. And we, I, I can name, I see you, Jim, John, Zach, and Amy, Faith. I, I can just go around this room looking at people who have been touched by the power of God in our services, in our gatherings, at the garden, through Holy Spirit Conference, where their lives are utterly transformed. John is the perfect example of a guy who, who when we brought John Peters out for the first time, um, John Peters was here a couple of weeks ago and preached a couple of sermons. We, we were open to the things of the Spirit, but the majority of our church, which there were about 100 of us at that time, we were cautious, conservative and we didn't really have a model or we didn't really know what it meant to be operating in things of the Spirit. And the, the, I don't know if John shared this story, but um, the first kind of moment where our church kind of came alive through the Spirit was actually through John. John Peters came out. We were at my house, a one-bedroom apartment, right behind Portfolio Coffee Shop. And we prayed at that moment for John. And John had a word of knowledge from Chris Jones, one of the worship leaders that came out with John Peters. And he fell to the floor at this word of knowledge. And he, he, he began to weep hysterically in our apartment. Our neighbors came up wondering what was going on. And he was rolling on the floor. And literally, he was rearranging furniture and crying, and Lydia, his wife, was terrified, like, what's going on? And we're like, it's cool, this is normal. And we're like, I don't know if this is normal. <laughs> and I, I went down to pray for John, and I just felt like the, the gift of tongues was coming, and you just need to be open. And as soon as I said that, he's speaking some unintelligible language, yelling it. He's never experienced this before. He's never witnessed, he wasn't a part of a church where that was a thing that happened. So John's getting wrecked, and the word of knowledge connected directly to his past. It brought all sorts of healing to him, his family. But it was a window into the spirit for the rest of our church. 
You see, this is what happens. So, because John was Mr. Safety, literally at the time, emergency manager of Long Beach. <laughs> so he was the safest person in our church. Wrecked. This is how I'll write this. This is how we will write this story together. The safest person in our church, utterly transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. That was a, his testimony becomes the entry point for the rest of our church. And we, we, we had an amazing weekend. Now, guess what happens after that? All sorts of individuals were touched by the Spirit. So many things happened. But you know what happens over time? As a church, we just get back on to pushing it uphill, don't we? And all of a sudden, like, it's easier just to preach and not have words of knowledge. It's, not, it's easier to preach and not call people forward because when we started, it was basically, hey, come forward for this, and nobody would come forward at all. It was so awkward. I, would, I, would, I have these words of knowledge. God, would you just call, let them stand or come forward? Nobody would come forward. Or the same person every week would come forward for the same thing. Like, you, this cannot be for you. I know that, but thank you so much for being here. I appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to become a spirit-filled community that had a culture of, of the spirit. And it took, it's a collection of individuals coming together to do it. And it became a conviction that we had to just practice. We had to keep going for it and going for it and going for it. Paul says this. He says, be continually filled. And there's a greater outpouring of the spirit when we gather together as the worshiping community. Because then he goes on and he gives, I want to just highlight this, five descriptions of a spirit-filled church. And here's what he says. He says, in the, in the uh, five descriptions, here the first four are found in the remaining verses. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you put that slide up? The first one is this. That, uh, the five descriptions of a spirit-filled church. We're gonna speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We come together and we're, we're bringing the songs we've been singing during the week. So Faith's job is easy when she comes here. She comes here preparing a set. You've been preparing all week too. Because you're going to bring your songs. They could be songs of lament. God, where the heck are you? Because that's okay. I'm bringing my scars and my pain and my wounds because this is what church is. Some of you are like celebrating your victories this week, job promotion. All. God, you're amazing. You're everywhere. It's like, you know who those are. They're the people in the gym that are dancing as, as they're like working out, doing two, <laughs> working twice as fast and twice as hard, singing. I'm like, what's wrong with you? And the second thing is we're gonna, we're gonna be singing. So we're bringing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're gonna be singing. And then the third, we're gonna be making music with our hearts to the Lord. These are three characteristics. The fourth one is we're gonna always be giving thanks to God for everything because Thanksgiving is the beginning of a meaningful life. So these are the four, but there's five, and this is the powerful one. What's the fifth description in this text? If you're to look and do a Bible study, there's five descriptions. We're missing the fifth. The fifth is found in verse 21. A spirit-filled church Verse 21, submits to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is that saying? This is so powerful. A spiritful person is empowered by the Spirit to have healthy relationships. A spirit-filled person is empowered by God to have healthy relationships. The predominant posture of every disciple to every other disciple is placing the well-being of yourself under the well-being of others. Imagine how many conflicts and church divisions would be solved if this is actually what happened. That our predominant posture was to put our well-being, our way of thinking, our political views under the well-being of others for the sake of everyone else because this is what it means to be a spirit-filled church. And why is this so profound? Because it's the reversal of the fall of humanity where broken relationship enters into the world through sin. It's also the way the world will be transformed. 
Christ's presence filling the whole earth, a redeemed person living empowered by the Holy Spirit in a redeemed worshiping community that will overflow into all other relationships. Because now look at what Paul does. Spirit-filled person. Would you go to that slide? To a spirit-filled community where we're placing our well-being under each other. We're, we're learning how to live in healthy relationships. We're caring for each other. I had a friend a couple days ago who said, hey, do you know anyone in our church that has needs? I have a task this week to provide for somebody's needs so that there are no needy people among us. It's literally like a discipline he, he created with a couple other people. Like he's like, his task this week is to find someone in the garden church that has a tangible need that he can meet. How cool is that? I was like, it just blesses me hearing about that. This is what a spirit-filled church does. And then it moves on. Look at what Paul goes on to do. He says, the next place is marriage. The spirit empowers healthy relationships. So it starts with you as a person. It goes into a church. Verse 22, it goes into wives to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. If you keep going, which we'll talk about next week, we're gonna talk about this. It goes from spirit-filled marriages to spirit-filled families. It talks about parenting. Why? Because the primary place for discipleship is your family. This will be the place where a family cultivates a spiritual environment for kids, children, to be partners in ministry as children. Not something we do to them, but we raise them up at an early age to be our partners, to bring life wherever they go, in elementary, in middle school, into high school, because that's where we need it most. Would you agree? And then there's this whole section on slaves and masters, which we'll talk about. What's slaves and masters? Well, the dominant, the dominant um, vocation and industry in Ephesus was slave trade. Now, we're gonna talk about context in a couple of weeks about this, but where it goes from spirit-filled families, it goes to spirit-filled workers that we will be empowered as spirit-filled workers to bring life wherever we go, and then we get this, and this is how it fills, it, it fills the whole earth. Would you go to that last slide? Where the church is at the center. Are you with me? So, it, but it all starts with you being in a posture of being willing to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.